Welcome to Long Story Short Podcast, the audio show that invites ordinary people to tell their stories about an extraordinary God who shows up in their hopes, dreams, disappointments, and victories. Turn over the pages of your own story and discover who the real hero is. You paid the price for all the world to me. You paid the price for all the world to see. And for those who choose you now, Shalom. Welcome back to Long Story Short Podcast. My name is Brent, and I'm here with Lisa. And today we're taking a cue from our guest and stepping into uncharted territory. It's all with the hope that God's healing, restoration, and grace will fill in any cracks we leave given the messy topic of race relations. However, it's not really like some other stories. Many times when someone tells you about God's work in their life, you might hear about job promotions, the blessings of a new home, or circumstances that miraculously worked out. Now, don't get me wrong, those can be beautiful places for us to be grateful. But what if God also shows up in very uncomfortable places? What if his presence leads you somewhere that you're likely to make mistakes, maybe even be misunderstood? What if that's why you see God all the more clearly as he reveals himself in forgiveness and reconciliation? Those are some of the elements of Derek's story. Yeah, you'll hear Derek admit he's not an expert on race relations either, but he's leading with God's love. How can you go wrong? Yeah, he's seen some examples of barriers being broken down simply by asking someone to share their story. Listening communicates empathy and value. Derek's story speaks so much to why we're even doing Long Story Short Podcast. We invite you to pray and listen. And if your heart is moved, check out the blog notes for links to the resources he suggests. In Micah 6 8, I was nervous. In Micah 6 8, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope. What I see in the context of Micah 6 8, and I hadn't really studied it, I just looked at it when I knew it was the text. Because Micah 6 8 is clearly do justice. Mm-hmm. It's not the justice that we might think of in terms of theological, doctrinal, you know, just as if I'd never sinned, um, salvation justice. This is a. Not that, yeah. And I was like, whoa, okay, I hope we hit that right. And the, There's a, there's, a, there's a genuine cry that says, please hear me, please be empathetic, please help me move toward, help me, help me be with me as we actually try to change these proven injustices across our country. Story Short Podcast. My name is Brent, and I'm here with my wife Lisa and our friend Derek. 
It's a special guest on the show today. So welcome, Derek, to the show. We're really excited to have you here. Derek, we know you from church, but um, we know that you have some interesting stories, but you've got an, uh, an interesting story that you're bringing to us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. I, uh, it's a privilege to be here, by the way. I work on staff with Crew, or used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ, and it's a college ministry with, with students all over the world and staff, and I serve as a regional national director. I've done it for 29 years. Uh, it's a thrill. I love it. I love doing what God's called me to do. And I also serve in some variety of leadership roles at our church. So it's, uh, it's a great adventure the Lord has me on. Well, we know you enough to know that you're a guy who has a lot of stories to tell. Um, and when we, so that's something that made us want to ask you to come and tell us a few stories. Um, um, long story short, this particular story that you're going to share or this, this journey that you're going to share, why this one? Why? You're, you're going to be talking a little bit about racial harmony. What, what made you pick that? Well, to me, it's been a fascinating journey that's hard for me to explain, partly because uh, one of the ways I understand it that I can't shake is uh, we in our organization talk about strength finders a lot, and it's been super helpful for us to uh, build on our strengths and really be able to value others that aren't like us. And in fact, even in my marriage, my wife and I are kind of at different extremes in our strength finders. And so one of them that she's really high on, and I'm not, is the learner input strength, which is kind of what it sounds like. It's you're wanting to get more information. You're wanting to learn. You just can't, you can't get enough. And in this journey, on this particular topic, which I know is on my lowest of 34 strengths, it's like my 32 and 33 I just can't shake it. I can't get enough of learning and move, being moved toward empathy and wanting to do something about it, as this particular topic is for me. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? I mean, how did you, what started you on this? Was there some incident or just something that was gnawing at you? Or, a trigger or some yeah. event? Yeah, yeah. Really, I can, I can even call it, it's a I'm on month 13 on this journey. And it really started in uh, August of, of last year when, as a ministry, we decided we wanted to move forward with um, trying to become uh, more of a multi-ethnic organization in crew. And uh, to be honest with you, we've tried, we've tried many, many years, many swings, many misses, um, and we've, we've not really made progress like we would want to. Um, we, we realize we're behind the culture. And we're even, I feel like we're behind, uh, and we would admit this as an organization, we're behind uh, evangelicals on this topic in terms of being multi-ethnic. So uh, that was part of the piece that got me interested in the topic. And then the other piece really was our church seeking to become a church for all peoples. And knowing that that's not been... Easy, an easy road for people, and in light of the, some of the uh, leadership that I'm in, we have we have conversation about this. How do we grow this? How do we how do we learn? What do we need to do next? So those two things coming together, um, we made a decision in the month of August, Julie and I, to partner with another 
Asian American who is a very gifted leader that I've known since he was a college student and who is targeting uh, predominantly focusing on ethnic ministries in our, in our ministry. And I said to Adam Go, I said, Adam, uh, let's do this together. How, how do we do this? Help us through this. We want to learn. We, wanna, we really want to see change. So Adam uh, introduced us to a book uh, called Becoming White, an university press book that was very helpful. And we, started, we just started to read this in the month of August. And then the Ferguson situation happened. And when I watched what was happening, the logic kicked in in my brain. I didn't understand all the details. I didn't know all the data. But the reaction to Ferguson made me go, okay, wait a minute. There's something here. There's something bigger going on here. And so that really intrigued me to the point of, uh, I became familiar with another book um, that I started reading that was super helpful by Brian Loritz. And uh, in the book, Becoming White, there were some things that were kind of coming together and uh, I began to listen to a podcast by Matt Chandler, a pastor out of uh, Texas, who is trying to help his church along in a journey of, of being multi-ethnic. And that was super helpful. And then there were some things that he began to talk about, like privilege and um, some other things that I didn't know what he was talking about. Like, I wasn't really sure what what that meant, and is that something, what is, what is that? Do I, do I have that? And um, so that, that kind of started me on, on a journey to the point where in, uh, I think it was late October, November, I think it was mid-November when the Ferguson decision came out. I remember, I remember I was at Lifetime Fitness. I'm working out. It's on the screen. I'm, I'm one of only two people in that pretty full place that's watching on all channels with the Ferguson decision that came out. And um, I remember kind of thinking, oh, this is big. This is bigger than what people think, what people know around me. And somewhere along the lines in that, uh, and reading some things, reading people's blogs and reading articles and continuing to read uh, some books, um, somewhere along the line, I was it was suggested that one of the ways to, re to respond with empathy toward uh, non-majority culture would be to uh, move toward building friendships. And so I, uh, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to ask, some, someone must have suggested this, I'm going to ask a person of color how they're experiencing Ferguson. So there was a, a gentleman that was around my age that I had met at my son's school who I had had just one, one or two conversations with uh, a month prior. And I thought, well, I'm an acquaintance. It seemed like we had a good vibe going. And I thought, I'm going to ask him. And so it was in the, at halftime of a, a JV basketball game. And I leaned over. And I said, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you how you're experiencing Ferguson? And he kind of tilted his head. And he looked at me and he smiled. And he goes, you know, you're the first person to ask me that question. Mm -hmm. Um, thanks for asking. And then he said, uh, he went on to say, I, I don't understand with uh, rioting and all that. And uh, so then we, I followed up the conversation. I just, I asked, well, have you ever experienced racism? And he goes, oh yeah, all the time. I grew up in Milwaukee and yeah, racism all the time. I said, well, how about your son? He said, no, because we live far enough out in the suburbs. But then he went, 
But my wife, my wife gets followed by a police officer just about every week. He pulls up behind her. He follows her, her car for a couple blocks, and then he moves on. But when he said that to me, my brain kind of did a, a switch. And I remember thinking, okay, that makes me mad. Like that, that would really bother me as a husband mm -hmm. to have that happening. And so this was the first time it was kind of a brain, I call it like a little brain explosion of yeah. a category I'd never considered before. Uh, and then I thought, well, I'm going to keep going with this. So there was a couple of their friends from church. I thought, I'm going to ask them. And we started to have these fantastic conversations. But one of the things that was interesting to me is uh, I remember I was in church, and I remember thinking, well, I should call so-and-so and so, uh, some, some African-American friends I know. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to look in my phone. And I, I opened up my phone, and I, you know, I have an iPhone, and I was scrolling through my iPhone, and I thought, well, I have his number. And I went, I don't have his number. And then what about my other buddy who I've met, you know, several times for lunch. We, we touch base, you know, and we serve together on some things. And I went, I don't have his name in my phone. And then I thought, well, well, wait a minute. How many people of color, of non-majority culture, are in my phone? I got like two. And I'm like, wow, Lord. I don't even, you know, I call, I'll call these guys acquaintances. You know, I call them friends, but boy, that was convicting to me. And I, that was a point where I, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, I want, you to, I want you to pursue some real friendships with some guys because right now it's revealed in your phone who you value yeah. and the relationships you value. So that was, part of, um, that was part of kind of a learning experience for me. And then pursuing those friendships has been, uh, been fantastic. So there's a lot of... Um, there's, a, there's like a, a, a social culture events going on like you mentioned Ferguson mm -hmm. and that's just one of many that have been in the news yeah. Yeah. in the last several months right uh, if not um, the last few years actually but um, so those social events are going on culturally we see them on television but then you're also thinking about this just um, yourself God's also laying something on your heart and yeah. you're starting to connect dots yes um, and you recognize that the Lord is leading you somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, uh, tell us a little bit about how you um, recognize that God was leading you yeah. there and yeah. how you were, yeah. how did you want to respond to him in that Sure. Um, to continue in this journey? Two, two thoughts on that. I, I probably should circle back because... It was probably five or six years ago that I, um, our national leadership team of crew brought many of us at the regional leadership level to Los Angeles for a conference that we had. And part of our experience in Los Angeles and the reason they brought us there was to experience the reality of majority and non-majority culture in Los Angeles. So we actually went on a campus, predominantly um, Asian American, Latino campus, just to have conversations with students. And that was very interesting yeah. and kind of a bit eye-opening. Because uh, it was different than what we have in the Midwest. And then the next year, uh, we went to New York City. And I was on a campus. It was predominantly Latino. We were in, I think I was in the Bronx, a campus in the Bronx. And I was one of two uh, Anglos in a cafeteria. And I remember s striking up a conversation with, with some guys. And uh, it was great. We talked about fantasy football and spiritual things. You know, you can, you can talk to anybody about, about sure. football, you know. 
And I remember coming off of that thing, and this was the thought that was this was the this was the click in my brain, is that God had created culture. And that by not learning other cultures, I'm missing out on the majesty of God. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm an outdoorsy guy. Yeah. And so I love the mountains. I love being up north. I love lakes, trees, the sounds of nature. And I thought, you know, this is a parallel to if I was a city guy and I never saw a mountain. Yeah. And I thought, I'm missing part of who, who God is in his, in his majesty. So that was something that I've kind of filed in the back of my head, in my brain, in my heart going, Lord, I'm open to this. I don't know, I don't know what it means, yeah. but this last year, I'm starting to learn what it means. Mm. And I'm starting to appreciate it. Now, the other piece that's been very interesting is I missed a, I missed a part, and that is in October, I was asked to um, speak to some of our staff on uh, our ethnic efforts and what we were learning. And I used a couple phrases that I thought um, I could use that, that incited a reaction. The two phrases were uh, white privilege and systemic racism. And I didn't know it at the time, but by using those phrases, they triggered a bunch of things in a bunch of majority culture people. And uh, I had a conflict with one of my best friends on it, and uh, we, we worked it through. I, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't realize that that stirred up. It stirred up some things like, um, he said, when you said that, it made me feel like you were calling me a racist. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a racist. And I went, and I tried to explain, you know, what, what those terms meant. I learned that there's another way of talking about that that doesn't uh, close people's ears or make them angry. Mm -hmm. And... I, I guess I, for the, maybe one of the first time in my life, I experienced uh, a little bit of, um, I don't know if, what you would call it, uh, uh, a, a rejection. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to describe it. it. It was just an interesting reality that I didn't, I didn't know, but I became aware of quickly because I, knew, I, I learned that what I'm learning, I have to be conscious of how I'm communicating it because mm -hmm. if I'm not careful... Uh, I can shut down the conversation quickly by saying things certain ways. Right. Triggers. And I think part of it was learning, learning, and, and this is part of the process too, was learning that um, it's very, it can be very difficult for people to um, not have their politics trump their theology. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm just kind of getting stretched with my theology. And, and I remember even listening to some, um, I, made, I even made a comment about conservative talk radio, and I ended up kind of, the way I said it, I threw it all under the bus. You know, I, I, I was kind of rejecting all of it, which I, which I didn't intend to do, but I, I was just hearing things coming from a, an ultra-conservative viewpoint that I saw differently now. And I, I heard things communicated that I realized they're making statements without all the data. They're not understanding actually what they're saying on some of these things. And I had, one time I had to turn the, turn the radio off. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had to turn our radios off and our television off because the mainstream media, they're more about talking in an echo chamber to themselves and trying to listen yes. to some sort of uh, um, ratings and, and that sort of thing. That's what they're really all about. They're not really all, uh, they're not about trying to resolve yes. 
the social issue or whatever issue is on the table. It's more of a, uh, a lever that they can pull to yeah. uh, yell and scream and pound on the table at each other, yeah. which <laughs> unfortunately doesn't, uh, doesn't help. But what's interesting, what I'm hearing you say, Derek, is that uh, the Lord is leading you into um, some new language yeah. with the new culture teaching you um, some some things that you hadn't recognized before. And what's exciting to me about what you said is that um, there's an element of your work uh, in crew. So it's not just something that's happening to you uh, at home or personally um, with family um, or just at church, but it's also work. So it's like throughout all yeah. of those uh, elements of your life. So it's kind of kind of got a broad umbrella over all of that. Yeah. It's touching all these different areas. Yeah, it's like the Lord has lined up a bunch of different things that have continued to catapult me forward in learning. So I forgot to mention um, one of the things I did learn that when I asked my friend about how he experienced Ferguson and when I asked my other friends from church about Ferguson and we just went with the conversation a little bit, I didn't realize what that meant. The fact that I asked the question communicated tremendous empathy. Mm -hmm. One guy said, you know, hey, I talk about it all the time with uh, non-majority culture people. We, we talk about it all the time, but never across, never with, not, with majority culture. Yeah. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And, but, but, it, but it really communicated that I wanted to understand pain. I wanted to understand right. uh, their own journey in this, their own uh, story right. of... of uh, uh, what it's been like for them. Um, and, and frankly, I thought I knew, partly because I played uh, high school basketball at a high level and I played college basketball and I played with a lot of our African-American guys and we had a great time together. We seemed to connect. And I just assumed, hey, if anybody gets it, I get it because I play ball, you know, and I played ball with guys. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we slap hands, you know, we're yucking it up together. I thought I got it. But it really has not been until the last 13 months that I'm just, I feel like even at this point, I'm just yeah. just barely getting to, to learn. Yeah, this, this whole topic of empathy, you know, uh, I wrote that down early in, the, in our conversation here. Um, and it kind of strikes a chord with me because I've worked in care ministries. And one of the central tenets in care ministries is listening. And in order to sort of develop this empathy, grow that empathy, you have to be able to listen to the other person and let them tell their story. And I think what you just said there, that, that's what I heard you say, is just opening that door and asking the question and demonstrating that you want to listen. Yes was a demonstration of empathy towards how, how that other person was feeling, right? And giving them an opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with what you just said. Um, I think the other piece that I'm, I'm learning is how I see the Lord using me as a bit of a, a, a conduit of healing. Mm -hmm. And where maybe uh, a person of non-majority culture, no one of majority culture has ever really gone there with them, never really asked them that question or, or given them hope that um, there's a possibility of understanding. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 the other piece that I feel like 
where I've seen the hand of God at work has been um, in meetings, oftentimes in, in leadership meetings, I have found myself um, thinking through what would my friend of non-majority culture think or what would he say? And what I've learned is in, in some of the writings, they call it the power dynamic and having a voice and giving someone else a voice. And, and as a, my uh, temperament, my personality, my, my role, how I'm viewed by the average evangelical, even at our church, um, I have great opportunity to, to uh, give over, uh, give someone else a voice. Mm -hmm. And so one of my friends have often said to me, he said, man, I'm so glad you brought that up or I'm so glad you, you asked a question on that because, because you broke the ice, it allowed me to have a voice into the topic. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there are a variety of different topics that, that would happen. And so I, I felt like the Lord might be able to use me as one in majority culture to help non-majority majority culture have a voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I, I've seen that many times over now. And um, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see that I, I, could, I could help someone that, you know, I'm, I might not be, be able to do this or that, but at least I can give someone else a voice. Mm -hmm. Well, and we talk all the time, I mean, that's the whole basis for this podcast is storytelling. And we did a class recently, and one of the things we were highlighting was God is a God of stories, right? I mean, it's his story is the story. But what's really fascinating is how story is one of the ends here to break down some of those barriers. You asking for someone's story and then being able to tell it. That's a huge thing. Um, so it's, it's just a cool example of stories being powerful. Well, the number one thing I'm learning, and this is where I've gotten from reading, in, especially in moving toward uh, valuing other cultures, is the topic of context. And that context is really someone's story. Mm -hmm. So um, there's so much more there than what you or I ever experienced. Like, for example... For me, one of the exercises we did over the last couple of years in our, in our ministry with crew is we, we ask people to write, um, write a poem. And the poem starts with, I am from. And so what you ask people to do is write about where they're from. And it might be foods, colors, type of environment, family, what's valued. And the cool thing about that is... Um, not only will you hear things uh, that you never thought about or never knew about, like for example, Native American culture, it's the red clay, it's, it's a story of a struggle with, um, it might be vices within that community that are very difficult to overcome, pain, mm -hmm. uh, abandonment, hurt, uh, extended family um, atrocities. That's part of their story. And when I told, when I began to write my poem, I am from, I wrote things like, I'm from uh, suburban America with manicured lawns and every need met and every want met. And everything I ever did, I had multiple men, including my own earthly father, think I could do anything. Being believed in all the time. And as I, as I told my story of I am from, I began to realize, wow, I have a whole different story mm 
than a lot of other people. And so becoming aware of my own culture, my own, uh, my own ethnic background really helped me kind of go, don't, I, I need to not assume everyone has that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I look back on it now, that's, that's fairly privileged that I, that I got to experience that. Um, but it's flavored me and it, it, it helps me kind of go, I just can't assume <laughs> yeah. everyone has that. And what would that be like if you didn't have that? Yeah. Like particularly the, the, the majority of men today and mm-hmm. certainly men uh, of non-majority culture. Even now, even seeing some things I haven't mentioned yet, even starting to see some things theologically that I was not aware of that I didn't I didn't really see uh, in the scriptures before. So, for example, this is a this might be a fairly simple one, but the Jew Gentile tension uh, in the New Testament, in really the beginning of the establishment of the church, was a major hurdle. It was such a huge hurdle um, cross culturally that. The Apostle Paul had to confront Peter, you know, the two mm-hmm. studs of the Jesus, the two studs of the New Testament. That confrontation was all about crossing cultures. And the gospel was at stake in that. The furtherance of the gospel was, was at stake in how they related to one another and how they, they related cross-culturally. Even to the point where, in my mind, I, I've taught out of Ephesians before several times, many times. I memorized most of Ephesians at one point. And I always remember thinking, I love Ephesians, but that little chunk of Ephesians between chapter 2, verse 10, and at the end of chapter 3 is like, eh, what's in there, you know? And it's all about the Jew-Gentile divide. To the point even in in chapter 3, I think it's around verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says, um, he talks about um, uh, the gospel is at stake. The gospel is at stake here in how... Jews and Gentiles relate, mm-hmm. how cultures value each other. And I had just never, I'd never seen that before. In fact, I had avoided it because I didn't get it. But you don't have to think too far to think, well, the Jew-Gentile divide, well, that's, that's, a, that's a long time. <laughs> that's, yeah. been, that's all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, there were things that I began to see in the scriptures that started popping out at me. Like, for example, in Acts chapter 6, when... Um, when uh, right before the stoning of Stephen, when it says the Hellenistic Jews were not treated well, yeah. well, there's a statement there, Hellenistic Jews. What does that mean? Well, that means they were Jews from a different city, a different type of culture, and they were being mistreated. There was an injustice that was occurring. And because of it, Paul said, hey, wait a minute, we, we, that's, not how we, that's not how we function. We're the body of Jesus, regardless of culture. And we've got to figure out how to care for one another equally. So then he just found a few guys. And I'm still part of in this journey. I'm still kind of understanding where each of those guys' names were. One of them was Stephen, who was the first martyr. Philip was another one who led the Ethiopian to faith. And that group of guys, that, that whole scene was around not was around an injustice yeah. toward another believer who was from kind of a different culture. Right. So that has implications for us in the church. In, in America, particularly, in how we relate and how we view justice or right. injustice right. and how we care about a brother in Jesus um, and see that as our predominant um, context rather than um, a, a, a racial type of a right. uh, cultural look. Yeah, one, one last piece that I, I think of is um, 
I think sometimes what holds people back from moving toward others that aren't like them is a fear. And it's a, it's a fear of saying something stupid. And um, what I like to say is, um, you know, I want to love people enough to overcome my fear and to get ready and be prepared to say something stupid because it's likely going to happen. So, for example, one time Cliff's wife came to church and, and her hair looked different. And I said, I said, uh, wow, I really like your hair today. Um, did you get a haircut? And she, and she looked at me and she was very compassionate. She could have. She could have really laughed at me, but she said, well, in African-American culture, women can wear their hair long, or they can wear their hair short, or they can wear their hair a lot of different ways. And it took me about three seconds, and then I went, oh, wigs, wigs. Okay, that's part of African-American culture, wigs. And so it was, it was dumb. It was a dumb, you know, it was a, a dumb statement I made. And she was very gracious. Um, but it was okay. I, I still, I, you know, it was okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm trying to care for someone. And uh, another one I had was uh, two guys that visited our Sunday school, our adult Sunday school. Um, we were talking about having kids, and they said, uh, "Yeah, I have two kids. Uh, they're both 12 years old." And I and I said, "Oh, you have twins?" They said, "Well, not really. One's from one lady, and another one's from another lady, like in the same year." And they went, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, got you. Okay, uh, all right, got that. Yeah." So it was just an in, a situation where. Um, I'm just going to keep going there anyway, uh, trying to move toward people and love people. And I know I'm going to say some stupid stuff, but I think I'm going to have, I'm going to let love be the thing mm. that pushes me yeah. rather than fear of saying something dumb. I just get used to saying, I'm sorry. I, I kind of <laughs> missed it. I didn't know. I missed that. So it's a good place to be. It is. <laughs> so from your journey, what, what would you say to people like, you just want to start off on that journey yeah. if you're open to it. What's... Yeah. Well, um, it's very difficult to talk about it. Like even Soon Jen Ra uses the phrase um, cultural intelligence. And I thought, for a while I thought, I wonder if you could use that phrase, but you can't because it uses the word intelligence. And if you, what the opposite of intelligence is, you're not intelligent. Mm -hmm. So you can't really use that but but people are at all different places like you described on their journey of I'll, I'll call it cultural awareness mm -hmm. and um, so like I read the book by John Perkins who is kind of a legend in crossing he's African-American guy Louisiana E-Free churches tapped into him a lot uh, wrote a book called when justice rolls down and he tells the story of his life which is really all these uh, structural systemic racism issues his story is, you know, straight out racism, economic racism, uh, the how the church function, how the police, how the judges function. It's the whole thing. But it was the fifth book I read. Mm -hmm. So I experienced that book different than what others might. So um, uh, the Soon Chan Ra, Ra piece, only, I've only read uh, probably, you know, barely a couple chapters, but that might be the book I would recommend mm. um, first. It it's called Many Colors. Many Colors. Many Colors. Um, the John Perkins one's called When Justice Rolls Down. It's really easy to read. In fact, that was fascinating because that book, um, I, I, was in about, I was about two chapters in and I go, when did he write this thing? Because it seemed like present. It seemed like, 
Did he just write it a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. He wrote it in 76. There's a, there's, a, there's a genuine cry that says, please hear me. Please be empathetic. Please help me move toward, help me, help me be with me as we actually try to change these proven injustices across our country. Just as much as context is a key to understanding cultures, conflict is a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to figure out a way yeah. to be okay we're with that. At. We're bad at that. <laughs> we're, we're like, you know, we, we go, I, just, I disagree with you and I, don't even, and I don't even know if I like you anymore. And so I'm not gonna talk to you and I'm not even gonna be where you are. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What? That's not, that's, there's nothing right about that. We have to be able to say, huh. Wow, I'm really, I'm really fired up. I'd love to see some really healthy, good teaching on conflict. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, the Scazzaro piece, the Scazzaro piece is great. It's like helping everyone. And like, and we're just so in the journey. Like Julie and I, we're, I mean, we're just challenged all the time, just in our marriage and in our parenting and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but the Scazzaro stuff really helps. And and that's one of the things we talked about is that part of our discussion in in, in Mosaic. We need to talk about this just about every single time at the front end and the back end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of our conversations because some of the greatest value is going to be, what was that? Yeah. What word caused the hair on the back of my neck to rise right. and why did that happen? That should be very telling, those things, yeah. instead of making you want to run. Right. What, what did I feel and why did I feel that? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, let's talk about that at home and let me come back mm-hmm. and let me ask the person later yeah. about that. Um, right. So th- that's a piece that would be very interesting and like our whole, we, the two u- words that we're using now, yeah. the two key words were the words incubator and catalyst. An incubator for discussion and processing pain and understanding and a catalyst for the rest of the church. Thanks for listening to another installment of Long Story Short Podcast. We appreciate you and your encouragement. And thanks for subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn. That's how you get automatic feeds for each story. And then take a few minutes and submit a review to help get the word out. Every review we get gives the podcast stronger visibility. And the point of the podcast is to share God's stories with more people. So thanks for sharing it with friends on social media. And thanks again to Les Elias for his music contributions. Check out links to his music on the blog notes. Bye-bye.